Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachna. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Wednesday, January 10th, 2024. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? That particular chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet, and it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 19 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you choose to do that before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It also contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We hope people will do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively use these tools in their lives, and secondarily because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we would appreciate you doing so. You can give us a call at 563-999-3581 and press 1 on your phone. Or you can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org 
or you can email Jeannie at J-E-A-N-I-E at yagain.org. That's W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N dot O-R-G. And if we get a comment or question and answer a testimonial from you, we'll address it on the Internet show. And then as time permits, we'll send you a notification about what day and time that occurred so you can listen back to the archives for your feedback or input. And again, we really appreciate whenever anybody does that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention we have with this work is to be a service. And that's just a whole lot easier to do when we know how things are landing for you. And we know whether or not you're getting most benefit from the in-depth reading with commentary of the way of mastery or you're getting more benefit from a monologue about the dynamics that allow these tools to be so effective or you're getting more benefit from having people actually step through a worksheet process, et cetera, et cetera. All of these things are part of what we do on the MindShifters radio program and have done for almost 13 years now. It will be 13 years at the end of this month. So we have plenty of time for comments, questions, answers, testimonials. The call-in number again is 563-999-3581. If you press 1 once you've called that number, it will put the little icon of a hand by your phone number, and I'll turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code, and we can have a conversation. I, um, for whatever reason, was having strong thoughts about the intensive center at Heartland that Michael and Jeannie run or have run in the past, and, um, so kind of makes me wonder if that's part of an intuition and if there's some news related to Heartland coming up in the near future or if there's been an event there, weather-wise or otherwise. So if you're one of those people who lives near there or has information about that part of very southern Missouri, um, let us know what's going on in your area. I know there are at least one or two people that live near the Heartland Intensive Center area who listen to the show on some somewhat of a regular basis. So if you've got any information, if there's something going on there and that's part of the, uh, the reason for my thinking of it so strongly, let us know. And in the meantime, we have plenty of time for comments, questions, answers, and testimonials and or suggestion about returning to the the reading with commentary of the way of mastery. We had a support group last night. At one point in time, we had five different people on plus me. Uh, by the end of the group, there were just four plus me, but we were discussing various things. At one point, one of the members decided that they would like to make us, as a group, recommit to doing more active worksheet processes. It used to be when we met in person that almost every group session had a focus on one or more worksheets, along with the hour of lecture by one of Dr. Michael Rice's videos or a similar presenter. 
So, um, so I imagine at least the Tuesday group will head in that direction based on the comments that we had in the group last night when one member brought that up. And since there are no hands up, I think I will return to a review of lessons four and five. I'm not sure how that's going to pan out, but it's been my thought that rather than just reading it verbatim again, it would be a good thing to do an overview. And the, the first three lessons are talking about how we really create our own experience of life. And we only, the, the first axiom is that nothing you experience is caused by anything outside of you, and you experience only the effects of your own choice. Clearly not at the conscious logical level, but at the higher spiritual level. And the idea is that there's more going on here than you could know about, so your conscious logical mind is not sufficient to monitor everything that's going on and chart the best course for you or for life as it's unfolding around you. So the way of the heart is not the way of the intellect. It's not driven by the intellect. We're being invited into a way of living where we ask moment to moment to be taught by life rather than approaching life from our conscious logical mind thinking we know how something is supposed to be and getting upset whenever life doesn't fit that model. So you experience only the effects of your own choice. And you can look at that in a variety of different ways. You can look at it from the perspective of when there's a car accident or there's an illness or there's a downturn in the economy, you didn't have anything to do with any of those events, and yet you still determine the impact on you by the way you choose to focus your conscious awareness in that moment, by the interpretations you choose and apply to that situation and the way you choose to respond to it. In the second lesson, they talk about it. It's titled, you, you Create Your Experience, and they talk more about how your body-mind unit is really just a communication device. And it calls us to question what we are committed to communicating. What do we truly value? And what do our thoughts, words, and actions communicate to others? And we're called to begin to focus more and more, moment to moment, on our thoughts and our communications. And that our experience, our existence, is nothing more than a feedback loop or a feedback mechanism to give us input about what are the effects of the choices we're making. So, the first axiom, 
we only experience the effects of our choices. The second axiom is, you de whatever you decree is. And the first two axioms are summarized as, I am created as the Father created me to be, I am free. Nothing sources my experience but me in each moment, and nothing has an effect on me whatsoever except that which I choose to allow to affect me. I need do nothing. Now the conscious logical mind going to jump up and say, wait a minute, I need to go to work, I need to have money to, to pay for food and clothes and housing and And yet, at another level of scale, when you look at things, if you have an absolute need to do something, that means in that moment you have no choice. You are not free to choose. And yet, so many of the great spiritual teachings tell us we have the freedom to choose. We are sovereign beings. We have free will. And then in the third lesson, it goes to another level and says, okay, let's take a look at how Every time you judge, you create a distortion. Every time you judge, good, bad, right, wrong, up, down, you create a distortion and you create a false perception. You can absolutely know it's false anytime you're feeling a negative physical sensation or a negative emotion as a result of whatever conclusion you've reached. And lesson three introduces the tool of forgiveness, which is the tool of dismantling false perceptions and judgments at every level. And the definition they give for forgiveness is to choose to release another, another person, another situation, from the perceptions you have been projecting upon them. So forgiveness is therefore an act of dismantling one's false projections. And as you begin to dismantle your false projections or forgive, even 70 times, seven times, each time you dismantle a false perception or a judgment, you take yourself deeper into the purity of your own consciousness. Another way to say that is you get to see the truth of life, your essence and the essence of those around you, more clearly. And the more you do that, the more you begin to see how what you thought you were having a relationship with this person or that person was really just a fantasy in your head you're having a relationship with, that you don't really understand who or what you're relating to, you're interacting with in life because of how you're coloring it with projection and perception and judgment. It goes on to say in that third lesson that if you understood what happens in your mind-body energy system every time you judge, you would never judge again. If you understood what happens, how you disrupt the flow of life and vibrations because your creative, your mind energy is a creative force. And if you understand that every time you judge, you've moved out of alignment with what is true, then you recognize that dismantling those judgments actually cultivates the quality of consciousness in which you 
finally come to see yourself as you truly are and see all of creation as it truly is. There's a point in the third lesson where it says, if you understood the depth of what happens, the very cellular structure in your body ceases to function every time you judge. The cells don't get nourishment. They don't eliminate waste. They don't function properly. They vibrate in an entirely dissonant or unproductive way. And if you want to awaken, you need to practice vigilance and discipline. You need to look for the earliest warning signs of the tension or contraction or negative emotion within your mind-body energy system that are the evidence that you've made a judgment, that you've stepped outside of the flow of life. You're not in allowance. You're not in acceptance. You're not in surrender. The third axiom or principle could be encapsulated in this way. I do not live any ordinary moments. And with each breath, my experiences are the stepping stones laid before me by the Creator to guide me home. So, if I recognize that to be true, I can make the decision to bring awareness to each moment and allow each moment to teach me how to dismantle my false judgments and my false perceptions, how to embrace, how to love, and therefore how to live fully. Every tension, every disruption, every upset you experience is an opportunity to grow to unload baggage of false perception and judgment. And they, they remind us you do not need to go to some far ashram, ashram or cave to find a guru. Your very life, the ups and downs of life, the people you meet, the activities that you're called to, your very life is the most perfect teaching center you could ever be in. As long as you recognize that any little tension or reactivity or negativity or judgment in your mind-body energy system is the absolute alarm bell going off telling you there's a need for you to dismantle a judgment or a perception right here. There's a need for the process of forgiveness to be applied to the thoughts and judgments and perceptions in your own life in that moment. And it gives a couple different ways to take a look at breathing, softening, canceling the need to be right, canceling your judgment, recognizing every judgment as false. And it recommends at the end of each day that you say you release and forgive the day. It's been perfect, it's done. You dismantle any judgments you have about it. You dismantle any perceptions that leaves you feeling tight or tense or upset. And you might even ask yourself, as you sleep that night, how to be shown 
how to learn and grow from life's events, even if the day was full of things you didn't want. The fourth lesson talks about an entirely new definition for the word desire. Most of us have a lot of emotional baggage around a word like desire. And we have it connected with cravings and obsessions and fantasies and shoulds. I desire to have you do this or that. I desire this or that kind of a relationship. And the content of our desires is nowhere near as important it's not even a speck of dust on the earth compared to the energy that moves through us that carries the content. It's a whole different level of looking at things. And the exercises they give in this fourth lesson are simply designed to help us slow down and tune in to the energies of creation flowing through us in our mind-body energy unit so that we can actually tune our receiver differently. Most of us have been conditioned to tune our mental emotional receivers to just what the five senses provide, something solid, something heavy, something intense, something often physical in nature, and we've been conditioned to tune out the more subtle energies and awareness of those energies. Lesson four says, let's turn that around. Let's not pay so much attention to the external and the intense and the physical. Let's tune in to these very powerful, subtle energies that are always there, that are always trying to express through us, that we've been taught to ignore. And so to repeat the definition or the redefinition of the word desire, as I distilled it out of this fourth lesson is, desire is the energy of creation that wants to express uniquely through me or you in each new present moment. And the fourth lesson wants us to take a very good look at what we think we are, how we think and speak of ourselves. It says, the next time somebody asks you who you are, please don't give them a name. Don't say, well, I was born in a certain part of the planet. Don't say, I'm this political belief or that one, I'm a male or a female, I'm this religion or that religion. Tell them the truth. Say to them, you ask me who I am, who am I? I am the extension of love in form. I have never been born, and I will never taste death. 
I am infinite and eternal. I shine forth as a sunbeam to the sun. I am the effect of God's love, and I stand before you to love you. I am the effect of the creation's extension of itself, and I stand before you to extend that love to you, to raise the awareness in myself and you that your true nature is love. The fourth lesson says, desire is the energy of creation. It's the energy that moves through you that might carry an urge to eat ice cream or have various sexual partners or pursue a degree. It's not the thing that you focus on externally. It's the energy that moves within you that creates a vibrational experience that you experience as I want this or I want that. And in the fourth lesson they call us to just slow down and practice tuning into what we want moment to moment and make a note of it and then clear our minds and ask again what do I want right now and make a note of it and do that multiple times and then put the paper away. And then come back the next day and do the same thing. Not deciding, oh, I had this urge, I had this thought, I had this desire, I better go do something about it. Just do the exercise knowing you don't have to act on any of those desires as they come to you. Knowing that most of the time when you begin a process like this, your awareness of the energy of desire, your urge for this or that, has been hijacked by your egoic thought patterns and your intellect and what your culture has trained you into and from your trauma energies. And so before you run off taking action on this, that, or the other, lesson four calls us to practice two important things. One is tuning into the energy of the awareness of desire. And the other one is remaining aware that we do not have to act on these urges, these energies, these thoughts, these obsessions, these cravings that we have. And a key point that it makes in Lesson 4 is that the only relationship that holds any value at all of any kind is your relationship with your creator and your creative source. Not that there is no value in anything else, but every other relationship you have, the values that you find in them come from this original first level relationship. Awareness that you're not just a physical being. Awareness that you are consciousness expressing in form. Awareness of your connection to the energy, to the life force that gives rise to everything. That's what all other relationships are based on. And so, learning tune into that subtle energy that can move through you, that's always moving through you, 
that you can tune into. And asking, practice asking, what do I truly want? What do I truly desire? And understanding that everything that arises through you is coming by focusing that energy in one direction or another. Choosing to let that thread of desire and energy and it's a, your awareness of it be nurtured in you and discover where it wants to take you. Consciously thinking of yourself as a conduit for a higher, more integrated level of consciousness and energy and creativity. Understanding that you're not the one that keeps your heart beating or your breath moving or your food digesting or your hair growing. Something is living through you. Consciously choosing to focus on becoming a more and more wide open conduit for that loving energy. Reminding yourself on moment to moment basis of myself, I do nothing. But the Creator through me does all of these things. Once we practice that, our life experience changes. And Lesson 5 says, okay, now, beloved friends, we're going to come to you in this lesson to continue the pathway which builds the structure from the first four lessons that if you ask to be shown by these energies, by these practices, how to be a blessing to yourself and others moment to moment, you become a perpetually avid student of the way of the heart. You are taught by life. You are taught by love. You are taught by the the events unfolding in your in your world moment to moment. And you choose to be a student. When you do that, there's a level of understanding that you don't know where this is going to lead. Like if you decide to go to a university and get a degree, you've got some vague idea about what that process is going to be like. Everybody who's done it knows by the time they're halfway through it, it's, it's worlds different from whatever they had imagined. So lesson five reminds us that the way of the heart does indeed require the decision of commitment and understanding that when you completely, totally commit to discovering the way of the heart, you will discover a way of being in the world that is not of the world. You'll discover a way of walking through life in which you experience being uplifted by something that seems to be forever beyond you and your comprehension. And yet, it is within you and it is the core and the essence of your very being. The key here is the world is not going to understand this and your way of doing things. 
you're not even going to comprehend it within yourself. You're going to be moving from mystery to mystery to mystery. You're going to get uplifted and carried away by something that brings a satisfaction and a fulfillment to the depth of your soul that's far beyond anything you can imagine. I, you know, I'm a psychologist and I work with a lot of people. I'm fast approaching the finish of 50 years of doing therapy. and So I get it when we talk to people about learning to go with the flow of life and go with whatever happens, allow it, surrender to it, accept it, embrace it, trust it. I get it. People are going through stuff that they find painful, they find it distasteful, they find it clashes with their sense of right and wrong. They find it clashes with their moral and religious beliefs. They find it, you know, like at the opposite of what the culture has taught them should be happening or what their life could be. So I absolutely get the pushback. And yet, on the other side of the coin, I lived the first 45 years of my life, at least, thinking the way I had been taught by my religion, by my family, by my culture, by my psychological training, by the doctorate. By the, and, and I was in a lot of frustration and anger and upset more often than not throughout a week because life seldom went the way I thought it should. And then I, I adopted this I agreed to work with this kind of a, an epiphany I had once, that if even the worst things that have happened in my life eventually lead directly or indirectly to some of the best things in my life, it doesn't really make any sense that when something happens that I don't like, that I fight against it and get angry and, and say it should be different and generate fear and upset and it doesn't really make any sense because my history in my life, if I step back and look at it, demonstrates that even the things I really never would have wanted and wouldn't have wished on an enemy led directly or indirectly to some of the best things in my life a few years later. So it makes more sense, and I began working with this practice of just saying whatever happens, well, that's good. I wonder how this is going to work out. That's not what I had planned, but I wonder how this is going to lead me to meet somebody that's a blessing in my life I never would have met otherwise. Well, that's different than what I wanted to have happened. I wonder how this holds a lesson I need to learn to move forward at the next level. When I first began doing that, practicing that, I would probably catch myself a half an hour or a half a day into being upset about something. And then I'd take a breath, cancel the upset, and start asking to be shown how it's going to work out. After a few years, it was, it's about the three-year mark, I remember, people started commenting about how calm I stayed in the face of life events that would normally have triggered anger and upset in me and would still be triggering anger or upset in them. And what I can tell you 20-some years later is that my life 
has improved by leaps and bounds beyond what words can describe, and I attribute much of it directly to that practice of saying to whatever comes along in life, well, I wonder how this is going to work out better than anything I could have imagined. Well, I wonder how this is going to lead to a blessing. I had an example a week ago yesterday. And I went out to my car, and it was dead, battery's dead. And I had just enough time to get in my car if it was working properly and make it to the office for my first patient. And I didn't make it to that patient. I had to call and cancel the patient and say, my car battery's dead. I need to you know, work on getting it jumped and started and all that good stuff. I was locked out of the car because of all the computers on cars these days. It's all electronic and the battery was dead beyond repair. So when I got it jumped and I got to work, before I got out of the car, I called the car place. Now, up until this point, all that had happened was I had chuckled. 20 years earlier, if that had happened, I would have been swearing and pounding on things, maybe you know, injuring my hand at beating on something. When this happened the day before yesterday, I just kind of chuckled. Well, I wonder how this is going to I've practiced for 20-some years to be in that space. And I understand that these things lead to different opportunities, sometimes blessings, sometimes miracles and coincidences. So I scheduled my car repair for the next morning. They had an opening. I canceled a meeting that I had that would have taken place at that time. I got up extra early on Wednesday, went to the car place, and then I sat down and just I had an hour and a half or two hours to kill at the car repair place. And so I decided to use it to just review things and you know what might I need to shift. And I thought, well, I've been meaning to get a, um, some work done, physical work on my lower extremities and my legs because they've been cramping a lot or whatever. So I put out messages to several people asking for a referral to somebody that either does massage or physical therapy or chiropractic and knows about lower legs. And I did several other things. I made different arrangements and filled in the schedule here and there. And so it, it ended up being a relaxing time and a productive time. And within half a day, I had a recommendation for a mobility specialist who just happens to be right here in the town I live in. And I called him. He could get me in the next day. So there I am Thursday morning going to a specialist that never would have happened because my schedule was such that I've thought about this for a better part of a year, year and a half, two years. And I just look at that. There's a blessing. And it's a blessing not only because the event happened, it's a blessing because the event happened and I chose to interpret it as just fine, just the way it is. In the past, when that would have happened, I would have been so filled with upset and I paid so much money for this car and this should be working and that's wrong. And like I said, I probably would have kicked a tire and broken a toe or hit, hit the side of the car. And, 
But at this point, 20 years later, after practicing this, I just chuckled with it. My view of the world stays wide open. I understand these things happen, and they open opportunities that would not be there otherwise, and I engage looking for the opportunities and the blessings. I believe that's why I see them, or I think they've always been there. I think the opportunities and blessings were probably there my entire life, but I didn't see them because I was either pouting or throwing a tantrum or raging or running around from one person to another telling them my sad story about how bad this was and how that happened and this you wouldn't believe what happened to me today. And rather than taking a breath, calming myself, and understanding that everything is going to work out, even when it doesn't fit my conscious logical model for how it should work out. So I get it when people want to push back and say, you know, here's the keys to the kingdom in lesson five. Learn to tune into the energy of creation that wants to express uniquely through you in each moment. Become awake and aware to the fact that it's always been there and it's still there and it will inform you in ways that can align your life to, to more joy, more liveness, more love, more contentment. The second key to uh, the kingdom is form a thought pattern within you that says, I want to stay aware of that energy of creation moment to moment. I want to stay awake. I don't want to live my life like an automaton or a robot. I don't want to just keep going through the days every day on the same schedule I've had and the same set of thoughts about judgments of right and wrong and good and bad. I want to interrupt this pattern and I want to tune into what it is that the creative mind, the flow of life, God, light, love, Holy Spirit, whatever you want to call it, wants to express through me. I want to wake up to the fact that I've been seduced by the culture to condition myself to be distracted at every turn. And I want to interrupt that, and instead, I want to use the energy of my mind through consistent practice to channel that energy of desire that begins to move down through and re-educate my emotional body, the cellular structure of my physical body, and it can re-educate the lesser levels of thought within my own intellect so that everything involved in my being becomes integrated and starts to work together and focuses on the fulfillment of the desire of this energy of creation that wants to express uniquely through me in this moment. I'm going to step into the possibility that maybe the main reason for my being here is healing and to heal this false sense of separation from others and from my creator. And I'm going to step into that practice by asking on a regular basis, what is it I most desire? What's my role on the planet? What am I committed to, to bringing forth in this physical incarnation? Once I do that, 
I can step into the third key. And again, I hear people saying, allowance? Well, I don't allow this. I'm not going to allow this person to get elected president. I'm not going to allow this law to get passed that goes against what I... I'm not going to allow this person to get away with stealing my money. I'm not going to allow that car company to get away with selling me a defective car. I'm not going to allow myself to have a physical ailment that requires me to go get a mobility specialist. I understand it. I'm just here to tell you that from 20-some years of practicing, stepping into allowance, defined as the cultivation of a way of looking at the events of my life as stepping stones to get where I want to go, refusing to buy into what my culture has taught me, that these are roadblocks, that this shouldn't happen, that you shouldn't have to put up with that. Don't you let somebody talk to you like that, etc., etc., etc. But look at everything that happens as an opportunity to heal whatever tension or upset is in me by choosing for love in that moment, by choosing to share only my loving thoughts, to return my awareness to my connection to my source as the energy of creation that wants to express uniquely through me in each moment. Allowance is the cultivation of a way of looking at the events in your life not as obstacles to getting what you want, but as stepping stones. Each one presents you with a blessing of the lessons required to heal obstacles. And these are not obstacles to the success of what you, want, you say you want to accomplish, but obstacles to being aware of the presence of love as the source and ground of your being. Guy Finley says, the lessons we need to learn in life ride into our lives on the back of the events that we do not want. And if I work into that, I step into the use of my mind energy to focus on these first three lessons, desire, intention, and allowance. As I mature, as I practice into that, I rest into this thing they call surrender. Surrender means you know through every fiber of your being that there's no one here living a life, that life is flowing through you and through your body-mind unit as long as it lasts. You're not the maker and the doer. You're not the creator with a capital C. You didn't create yourself. You don't know when you were created. You don't know why you were created. Surrender is a stage in which perfect peace within you is the foundation for even more activity. And you find yourself, as long as you're in the world, being busier and busier and asked to do more and more. And it only happens if you practice the first three. You practice becoming aware of the energy of desire. You practice catching yourself every time you get distracted and returning your focus 
to your, your intention to be aligned with the energy of creation that wants to express through you in each moment. You practice the third step, catching the earliest warning signs of judgment or tension or contraction and breathing and softening and letting go of it. And that puts you in the state of allowance. And when you practice those first three, you start to rest into a level of calm and peace and centeredness that you may never have experienced before. It leaves you in the space where you will be able to watch everything that happens with total peace and equanimity and joy. Even this transition that we mistakenly call death They suggest that you practice this set of thoughts. I and I alone am the source of what I experience and perceive. I am not a victim of the world I see. Everything I experience, I've called to myself, plain and simple, no excuses, no ifs, ands, or buts. That's just the way it is. And if you do that, what they're telling us in, in the fifth lesson in the five keys to the kingdom, if you do those first four things, if you really practice the first three and the fourth one develops, the surrender develops, this peace, that, you know, the old phrase is the peace that passes all understanding. I, you, you don't understand why you're so at peace. You know, four and a half years ago I had a car accident my car was told and so were three other cars and I, I, I stayed at a level of peace throughout that whole thing that, that there's no reason I should have been so calm and peaceful. There's nothing about the physical, logical events of the day that would let somebody understand how I'm staying so calm and peaceful. It's the peace that passes all understanding because it's not based on the conscious, logical evaluation of the world. It's based on the recognition that all these things go on at that conscious logical level, and yet there's a lot more going on here that I can't see with my senses or know about with my conscious logical mind. So I rest in understanding that this too shall pass, that everything's going to work out better than I could have imagined. And when I do that, my life is going to get so much better it's going to be very difficult for me to keep from thinking, oh, what a fine boy am I. Look what I've created. Look what I've manifested. Look up and patting myself on the back and maybe spraining my arm trying to pat myself on the back. But the most important characteristic, no single characteristic is of greater importance than humility. And the humility that comes from the understanding that of myself I do nothing, but the Creator does all these things through me. And if there wasn't something, some life force that gave rise to me and keeps my heart pumping and my food digesting and my breath moving, I wouldn't even be here. I wouldn't have awareness of a conscious, logical mind or a body. Judgment cannot reflect your light, your consciousness, your awareness. 
Anger and hatred cannot do it. Fear and paranoia cannot do it. Only the recognition of your source reflects light. And the more you practice these first three steps and rest into the fourth step of surrender, your life experience is going to change so much for the better that it's going to be a very strong temptation to say, well, maybe I should keep 10% of this for myself. I really do deserve this and that level of praise from this person or that person. And that's where the trap is wide open, and if you step into it, not only do you stop progressing, you're in danger of losing all the progress you've made. In this chapter it says, a master accepts all the love and all the gratitude that is offered by those that benefit from his or her teachings and offers it all right back to the source and knows it's complete folly to think that they are doing the work that's helping other people. The light of the Creator can only shine through you to the degree that you're willing to take responsibility for it and give every bit of the fruits back to the source. Not claiming any of it as your own. Not getting full of yourself. Not letting egoic thoughts step in. Somebody that comes to the support groups, and I think I mentioned this yesterday or the day before, She's written about how a lot of times over the years, she's in her 60s now, and she, a lot of times over the years she's met people who have a piece of the truth. And it's quite attractive to find somebody who, who sees something clearly, they observe it directly, and has got a piece of the truth. And she says the more she stayed around and listened to them, the more they drift toward thinking that their truth is the only truth. And that gets kind of ugly, and then it gets completely rancid and ugly when they begin to believe that they are the truth. That's the kind of thing they're talking about as a warning in Lesson 5, where it says humility is essential. So they offer this prayer they, as a suggestion. They say, listen, as often as possible, as often as you can remember to do, though, do so, speak this clearly to yourself. Source, creator, God, goddess, all that is, father, mother, I'm ready to be what you created me to be. I choose to remember that I am effect of your love, not the cause. Your will be done. I rest in knowing that your will will result in my full happiness. Reveal then that path through which that happiness can be known by me. For my way has never worked, but your way always does. This is another way of saying, I'm going to go at life. I've got some plans today. I'm going to get up at a certain time. I've got some meetings scheduled. And if it goes that way, fine, I'm going to enjoy it and make the most of it, and if it goes in a completely different direction, I'm going to be okay with that, too. I'm going to be in that moment asking how to be taught by life, by love, by my 
brothers and sisters of brilliance and light that are around me, whether they've temporarily forgotten or have yet to discover their brilliance, I'm going to ask to be taught what's mine to do in this moment to bless myself and others. Desire, intention, allowance, surrender, and humility. Those are the keys to the kingdom. Desire, light, love, trusts all things, allows all things, embraces all things, surrenders to all things, and thereby transcends all things. Your true nature is that energy of love. And in this book, a number of different ways, it says love the awakened heart, your true nature, in its essence, feels all things. doesn't shy away from anything. It allows, accepts, it feels fully all things. It embraces all things. It trusts all things. It allows all things. And thereby transcends all things. If I decide this is bad, this is wrong, this shouldn't be happening, that's then I've pulled myself out of the flow of life. I've pulled myself out of being an allowance and acceptance and surrender. I've pulled myself into the field of judgment, tightness, tension, contraction. I've made the crazy idea that my little nine-bit mind, as Michael Rice calls it, or the mechanical level of mind that Guy Finley calls it, or the intellect that Way of Mastery says has just been shoved full of trivialities, like garbage in a garbage can. That that is more powerful than the flow of life. And when I do that, I create tightness, I create tension, I create upset within myself. I create an experience of life as less than gratifying. On the other hand, if I choose to assume, I have a lot to learn here. The more I learn, the more I realize how little I know, and I'm willing to learn even more. I'm willing to be taught in this moment by light, by love, by consciousness. Then I create an entirely different experience of life and of myself and of the creation itself and of my brothers and sisters. And my personal experience has been that that is infinitely more gratifying and positive than the tension and judgment and anger that I lived in prior to you doing this work. So that's our time for today. I'll remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. And I'll welcome Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Jim. Appreciate you. Welcome and deserving. Have a wonderful show. Thanks. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of My Shifters Radio. Today is Wednesday, January the 10th, 2024. And our call-in number is 563-999-3581. And press 1, and that puts you into queue to talk to us. And we'd love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. And while I'm waiting on Michael to dial in, I'll just um, 
share with you something that, uh, you know, this morning um, I was working with a, a young man and we were talking about the vitality meter and that, you know, it, imagine there's a meter from 1 to 10 and you're only at a 4 or a 5 vitality. You're never going to see the 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 issues until you get more vital and that as your vitality builds, and those other issues come forward, you know, I, I said there's one really good thing to know, and that is um, that you have the vitality to face it. You know, in the scriptures it says God won't put more on us than we're able to bear. And it's the same thing as that meter. You know, if, if you faced a, a deeper level of an issue, and you weren't vital enough to handle it, it could actually kill you. So you know that if that issue has come forward, that you are able to deal with it. You're able to handle it. You've got what it takes. And then I also said, you know, you survived the event. Maybe at the time you weren't sure if you were going to survive it, but you survived the event and the emotions that went in at the time that it happened. And on the way out, it symptomatically might look the same and feel the same, but you will survive. It's a memory. It's not the actual event. And you'll survive it this time, going back out. And you'll survive them facing those memories. And then we talked about symptoms of healing and that sometimes, you know, when issues happen and, you know, we manifest something physically and then as you're healing and that's going back out of your system, symptoms might look the same. And his eyes got really big and he's like, Oh, he said, right now I am dealing with some issues that happened when I was six years old. And I developed chickenpox about that time. And also they treated me for asthma. And going through that over this past year, he said that, you know, not knowing what was going on, but he got shingles. And he also ended up over at the hospital um, with breathing issues. And so when he looked at that and was like, oh, okay, you know, I'm, the old issue is being dealt with and so the old symptoms are coming back in, in sort of the same form, a little bit different. And so it kind of like gave him hope that, okay, I can handle this. I can go through this. So just wanted to throw that out. I thought it was an interesting conversation this morning. And Michael has now joined us, so I'm going to say welcome, Michael. Well, thank you, dear heart, and welcome, everybody. And you know, you're right on with that. And one of the biggest challenges of people actually doing healing work is to face and go back through those energetic patterns. Um, even when people become aware that that's what's happening, oftentimes people will opt for a drug because it's like, I don't want to feel this. I don't want to deal with it. You know, it's like the first time around, they lived in denial because can't can't handle it. And so to me... One of the reasons we do this show, one of the reasons we've been doing it at least an hour a day for the last 12 years, going we're into our 13th year, is to help people to build the brain cells to understand what's going on so that willingness prevails rather than, oh, these symptoms are going on and oh, I don't want to deal with this, I don't want to feel this. Well, we understand when you were six, you didn't want to feel it and you didn't feel it and you didn't want to deal with it, so what happened? Well, you found somebody who'd give you a, a substance that would anesthetize you and suppress those symptomatic energies. 
I'd offer that's the primary cause of degenerative diseases. And the primary healing of degenerative diseases is the willingness to deal with those energetic patterns and remove them because they literally express in the cell as chemistry. You know, they've shown that, you know, if you go to the opening words in the book of John where they understood this whole process, in amazing clarity, and you hear the opening words in the book of John where they tell us, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word became flesh. In Aramaic, it says, in the beginning was the mind energy, and the mind energy became flesh. And then... uh, Go on YouTube and, and do a search for Bruce Lipton. And what Bruce is showing is that when you think a thought, that thought becomes a molecule in your structure, the non-physical world becoming what we call physical. Now, all it is is changing its rate of vibration. You know, Plug Einstein in there. On such things as matter, we've been all wrong. What we have heretofore called matter is energy. Energy is vibrations whose Pardon me, energy whose vibrations have been so lowered as to be perceptible to the senses. So a thought isn't perceptible to our so-called physical senses, but you lower it and it shows up in physiology as a molecule. They call that molecule a neuropeptide. Then what Bruce will explain as a cell biologist is that neuropeptide is going to circulate around in your structure. It's going to find a cell with a receptor site that matches. It's going to land on that cell. Now, what they're saying is that that the cell then replicates that. I don't believe the cell replicates it. That's, that comes from a material uh, biased mindset that everything, that this is physical. But when you realize it's not physical, it's energy, when that neuropeptide, which is nothing but a set of frequencies, it's just like a, a signal from Channel 4 coming into your TV antenna. Does the TV replicate that signal? No, the TV decodes. The signal enters the TV, is decoded, and reflects in the TV. The signal comes into the antenna, the uh, receptor site. That's all it is, is an antenna. And in the same way as with the TV, it, that energy inserts itself in the cell. And if you were sitting inside the cell watching, you know, imagine you've got a transparent cell, you're micro-size, you're inside the cell, and you see this neuropeptide. You hear, you hear somebody speaking words, and you watch that set of words. The thought behind that word becomes a neuropeptide. And imagine that you're sitting in that glass cell, and you're watching that neuropeptide, and it's going around through the bloodstream, into the lungs, into the heart, into the liver, looking for a receptor site, and all of a sudden, you're, you're in the cell that has a receptor site, and all of a sudden, it lands. Now you're watching it, and as it lands on the antenna, just like the signal coming in from channel four into the TV, the cell it goes, and it is now what we look at, we call chemistry. The skill we're ultimately inviting people to do is to learn to loose those neuropeptides from their own cellular structure, deal with the energy directly, and remove it from the structure. That's called forgiveness. So it's a skill. It's a skill set we're inviting people to do. One of the ways of... Developing that skill set, you know, virtually every tool we're talking about is how to do that. 
And yesterday we went over the first part of the communication, responsibility communication. And I said we'd go over the steps today. So that's where I'm going to head. Unless, Miss Jeannie, you've got a hand up in the phone queue or something happening in the chat room. Sweetie? It is all quiet here, so go for it. All quiet on, all quiet on the Western Front. Okay. So most people believe the constructs of their perceptual minds. And they think that the source of the construct in their minds is them, outside of them. If you believe that, you're believing a lie. Always. 100% of the time. Even if the information is accurate, it's a lie that the outer world is the source of that. But most people think that with their eyes, they're looking out there, and that that construct their mind has painted on the inside of their eyeballs that they're looking at is actually out there. And the truth is, the constructs of your mind come from your carbon-based memory. So we're looking to go from projection communication, which is where you use words to try to prove that somebody out there is responsible for what's going on inside of you, to responsibility communication, where you can own, oh, there's something moving in me, and this construct that I have painted unconsciously on the inside of my eyeballs is about me, belongs to me, and if I don't like it, I need to change it. Remember, Yeshua said the power of life and death is in your words. If you use words to put everything you need to deal with outside of you, you will die. Because as long as you believe it's outside of you, you can't go inside of you and change it. And if it's of a dis-ease quality of energy, then it's the stuff death is made of. You remember in the ancient scriptures they said, with man, death began. We made the process up. We are not designed to die. Period. We are not designed to die. The only reason we die is because there are disintegrative frequencies in ourselves that are becoming the quote-unquote apparent chemistry in ourselves, deteriorating the cells, and the cells die. You get enough cells die and the organs die. You get enough organs dying and you're dead. Your physiology will no longer work. So what we're looking to do is to shift the way people think of what's going on inside of them and get a step closer to the truth. Oh, it's what's just showing up in my mind is coming from inside of me. So there are seven steps that, we've, that I've identified and put together over the years on responsibility communication. Notice that an event happened. And for most people, most of their lives, the perceptual construct of their minds overrode that event, became a substitute for the event that happened in their lives, and people live in this world of internal constructs and speak as though the internal constructs come from outside of them. That's called being a card-carrying member of the one-world religion of blame, and virtually every one of us 
was a member of that religion by the age of four. One of the things we're working diligently with our granddaughter, who's now five, is to free her from that religion and to open her to the truth of who she is and how the world works. We still play this game of everybody's got a reality. At five, she knows it. And we'll pick an object and we'll play with how many realities can we come up with. Oh, I can see this in it. And she'll say, no, it's this. And I'll say, no, I can see it's that. And, you know, it's part of our assisting her to understand that we can make up all kinds of realities and any reality that our mind shows us is always true about us, perhaps, and maybe never true about what's going on in the external world. So the first step, remember that all behavior is driven by goals. If your goal is to win to overpower, to abuse, to convince somebody else, then that goal is going to drive your perceptual mind. And the only data that will be available to you will be the data that will help you in winning, overpowering, abusing, or convincing others. So we're going to shift the language here. The language is key as to how your mind shows you the world. So the responsibility communication starts out with something like, I have an issue that I would like your help in processing. So if I'm communicating, if I've got something going on, a conflict going on with someone, I'm inviting them through my ownership of my issue to support me. That's ultimately what we'll be doing. So it opens with, I have an issue, I'd like your help in processing. And if you're a conscious part of a relationship where this tool is being used, this is where we invite the receiver of the communication to simply be the space. And recognize if you're feeling disconnected, afraid, sad, acknowledge that feeling, and then reach out and physically reconnect. Hold someone's hand, give someone a hug. Reconnect before you move on with the process then what we want to do is describe what objectively happened. You know, let's say objectively someone threw a ball. Someone who's watching watch that ball hit somebody in the head and subjectively the person who has that construct in their mind says, and you tried to hurt him by hitting him with that ball. Now, that might be true, but it might not. But objectively, what happened was the ball was thrown and he hit somebody in the head. That's all you can know about it from an objective perspective. If you get six people standing around a car accident and then you take them into a courtroom, you'll notice that you may wonder whether any two of them were at the same accident because their perceptual constructs are so different from each other. So we're looking here in the first step when you're going to step into and you're going to do responsibility communication, what can a camera take a picture of in a single frame? What can a tape recorder record? So, the next step 
is to accept responsibility to identify the event and make sure that you're both stopping uh, speaking about the same incident. You know, if you've ever had the experience of you're talking to somebody about something and on goes the conversation and their conversation's different and there's a conflict, and then a day, a week, a month later, you realize you're talking about two totally different situations. So you want to take responsibility. Make sure that you're both speaking about the same incident and that you're looking at the objective facts of the incident, not your perception of it. So mechanical facts only. Remember that? Who was that that used to say, just facts, ma'am? Just facts. Short, sweet, simple, and neutral. That is, if you're just describing the facts, it's free of judgment, it's free of blame, it's free of perceptual content. Now, for most people, that's like an enormous leap from, well, everything that happens in my mind, or Pardon me. Everything I see in my mind is happening out there. It's not happening in my mind. I'm just seeing it through my eyes. Not true. Make sure when you do this objective observation, you're describing the objective facts, that you make it what we'll call a we event. In other words, include yourself in the description of what happened. Many people will say, well, okay, I'm going to do responsibility communication. And they'll start out, and, and then when this happened, and then when you, and then when you, and then when you, and then when you, uh, yeah, I can tell you really want to be responsible and heal yourself in this situation as you talk about somebody else the whole time. And the, I mean, if, if from the age of four you've never conceived of, you are a, living member, card-carrying member of the One World Religion of Blame, and it is a huge shift as you grow into adulthood and become a responsible person. And the place where that has to happen is in your perceptual mind. Now, if your communication partner becomes defensive, You've probably stepped out of the objective realm and are into the subjective. And you're using words to describe your reality in a way that attempts to force blame on them. So be aware if that's what's happening. And, and that will happen over and over and over again as you begin to use these tools. If you're moving out of the one world religion of the blame into the religion of responsibility, then it's going to take time. It's, it's not an automatic thing. You're going to have to build some brain cells. So that's the beginning point of responsibility communication. The next step, here's where you're going to lay out the subjective observations. Your perception. If perceptions are based in fear and or hostility, they are reflections of your own diseased mind and are based on corrupt data. In this condition, the mind is always lying. The mind, mind does not hold the truth. It blames. And, of course, life would be so much easier if, if I could just stop blaming you. Or, you know, if I just send you away, then my pain will be gone. No, it won't. 
if you send the person away who is the master at triggering your pain and giving you that gift, you're going to have to go to work and find somebody else to do it because you're so deeply dissociated from yourself, from the content of your own mind. So the offering here is there is no truth in a blaming mind. It is the father of liars. There is no truth in it. So when you get down to the subjective observations, the idea here is to identify, own, and isolate the false perceptual constructs, the parts in your own mind that are in need of healing. That's the objective of this work, or this particular tool. At this stage, it can be helpful to identify the goals that are driving your disease perceptions and the thought disorders and emotions being activated by the need, by the need to engage in forgiveness. So, so when those things are starting to move in you, that's when you want to start to utilize the forgiveness process. So what's required in doing this responsibility communication in particular step? I've got to learn to language in a way that reflects my awareness that I'm describing my reality, the perceptual construct of my mind, my thoughts, my feelings, and recognize that I'm 100% responsible for them. Now, remember that your perceptual mind, when you're stepping out of the projection world, when you're stepping out of, of the blame game, you have a story about what somebody else did and how what they did is the cause of your pain. And you'll notice you've been telling this story all of your life. And if I want to face a core issue, I'm going to have to totally and completely change the way I think about it. And so this can be a place where you can show some vulnerability and ask for support. I realize that I need support in owning and healing my pain. And recognize that if you're never honest with yourself, that you're the cause of your pain rather than a reflection of your pain, if you refuse to move in that direction, you will forever give, forever, pardon me, live in your mind's why is this happening to me again experience. Remember that with the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? Most people think that why is this happening to me again is about what they did to me. The real why is this happening to me again is why is my mind producing this painful construct again? And yesterday it was about Bill, and the day before it was about Harry, and 20 years ago it was about Mary, and 30 years ago it was about Hortense, and guess what? It'll be about somebody else and somebody else and somebody else tomorrow. So hence my, my tongue-in-cheek line of, you'll notice we've been through that particular painful reality 87 different times with 42 different people. You're, you're the only one that was there every time. 
So if you want to escape from the why is this happening to me again, you've got to change the source of the why is this happening to you again. And the source of the why is this happening to you again is inside of you. It's not outside of you. We're not looking to change them. We're not looking to problem solve out there. So with the mind's lie, people have held their pain content below the threshold of awareness in the unconscious, in carbon-based memory. And if I've used false perception and blame to keep that hidden, what I'm doing now is I'm choosing to communicate, to transfer, to share intact the reality in need of healing that's in my mind. Remember yesterday we defined communication as the ability to take a construct that's in my mind and transfer it intact into another person's mind so another can understand the construct that I'm living with between my ears. That's communication. And as I said yesterday, most people never use communication skills. They use words, but not for communication. You know, it's like the person has a car, and the car is meant for traveling, but they never use it to travel. They just use it to go out and run over their lawn and pack their lawn down, not using it for what it was intended. So if I keep, if I keep using projection language about you made me mad and you made me sad and you hurt me, and why can't you just be different? Oh, I'm such a victim. Why don't you change? That's the way to keep your untoward reality structures and content below the threshold of awareness. And then false perceptions, constructs made out of those unconscious dynamics are kept hidden by blame. So what I'm looking to do now is to change that lifelong habit. And again, it's not an easy habit to change. It takes some serious practice. I remember one year in intensive, we had a mother and a daughter there. And the daughter was, the, the mother was going to do responsibility communication with the daughter. And the, and the daughter spoke to the mother about all about what you always do to me. And the mother was just like, I never do that. And then we went to the responsibility communication process, and the mother did, I mean, virtually word for word, exactly what the daughter had said she does all the time. And the mother had absolutely no awareness until we pulled up conscious language. And it was a shocker for her. So again, my objective in using words in this process is not to win, not to fix you, not to fix me, not to get what I want from you, not to gain something, but to transfer and share intact the reality in me that's in need of healing. If I'm externalizing with my language, I will not perceive correctly. Now, it's a challenge to remember that this perceptual construct is of my mind and has nothing to do with the event that I laid out in step two, except that the event was a trigger. 
and I'll open the space. Is this, uh, am I going at a speed with a depth of explanation that makes sense for everybody? Are there any questions as we move into this? If so, push one. Jeannie, feel free to interrupt me if somebody's got a question at any stage we're at, and uh, we'll see if we can remedy uh, the way I explain it so that it becomes understandable. Nobody has a so, hand up, but this is perfect. I had gotten an email from someone, and they were like, um, add me to your mailing list, and how do I apologize to my girlfriend? I have broken up with her. So I'm going to send him a link to today's show because it's perfect. Cool. Awesome. So once again, the goal here isn't to change them, isn't to fix the situation, isn't to get something that you want. The goal is to own and admit that you have an issue, to own your reality, not to prove that they have a problem or that your reality is true about them. And a good tool in this particular step or this particular phase of the communication can be to ask your partner, especially if your partner is kind of pulling away as this conversation is going on, ask your partner to share or read back to you using your tone of voice and attitude, what it is you're saying to them. That can be a powerful feedback mechanism. So again, that's the subjective observation. What can a, what, what, what's my perception? What's my mind's construct around this? And then step four, Now, most people, again, use what they call communication for anything but communication. They use it to get what they want, to control others, to manipulate, to win, to, you know, all sorts of things. So step four takes me into the acknowledgement that what I want to do first is to heal. You remember from the uh, Course in Miracles that you must become aware of the distorting power of the way you want it to be. As long as you're holding on to a goal, well, okay, I'll do this silly responsibility communication stuff, but they better change. And I'll just say that over the years of working with people direct, you know, doing this as a practicum, live, the person who's in such a hyper state of arousal and hostility toward another person when they start using responsibility communication, I mean, the shift of energy that just take, that takes place is just monumental. If you do this step, what I want first is heal. Now, that doesn't mean that you give up or you don't ever want to problem solve. But what you'll find is most times the problem solving had nothing to do with the healing process. And if you heal, the problem is automatically solved in many cases. I'm not saying all the time. doesn't mean there aren't going to be things to be worked through. But do the healing work first. Then, if there's problem solving to be done, then do the problem solving. 
So my request here in step four always relates to receiving support in healing my issue in number three. So let go of the problem solving, let go of figuring it out or trying to get them to change. Are you willing to be supported? Now, if this tool is used to manipulate them into change, it'll backfire, I promise you. If you'll use it the way we're describing it, it will bring monumental healing. Healing that you didn't know that you even needed till you started to tell the truth. The more specific I am in identifying my painful reality, the more powerful each step will be in creating healing. And remember that, you know, the tip here is remember to be responsible for what surfaces if you don't get the support you want. You know, this person, when you say, gee, I have this painful reality and I'd like your support in healing, it might just go, oh, good. I'm glad you got a painful reality. Let me see if I can help you pick up another one or two. Okay? So, once again, you step into responsibility. So, what part of me is inviting this kind of response? And what you'll find is another opportunity to heal another opportunity to deal with your issues and move through them. So again, step four is, I have an issue and what I want is healing. And I'm asking for your support. Number five, then in the seven step process is to ask, do you have any ideas? then actually listen to them. You know, there's an interesting thing in nature. Wherever there is a toxin or a poison, nature always provides the antidote to it in the immediate environment. You know, where there's poison ivy, there's always the antidote to the poison ivy. And I would offer that the person who energetically, through resonance, knows how to bring up your deepest hurts is probably the person who has the exact recipe for the salve that you need to heal. Now, people have to get off their high horse about how, well, it's all your fault and I'm only upset because of you. You see, I only hung up the phone because you were so upset. Hmm. Well, actually... I just said, hey, we're right in the middle of a process. Please stay, stay, stay. Don't hang up. Stay. Oh, they hang up the phone. Why? No desire for truth. Maybe a surface mind's desire for truth, the pretense I want truth, but too much of the unconscious dynamic that's been dissociated from is coming to the surface. And got to go. Got to get out of here. If you have the strong urge to get out of there, take another breath and stick with the process. And you're going to get a chance to let go of the blame and how your mind can creatively fabricate a whole reasoning system for why that person over there is the problem. And you recognize that the thing I want to run from, the thing I want to escape from is what's inside of me. And the fact that I can't control you by convincing you that you're to blame with my brilliant mind... (laughs) 
is why somebody wants to escape from that kind of a process. So the next step then is you step into humility and you ask, do you have any ideas? And then you actually listen to them as if they were intelligent and let go of the solution that your brain already has. Remember, your mind, your, your perceptual constructs with its projections already knows the answer, already knows what they should be doing. Cancel that, get rid of it, dump it, and make a space to do your own work. If I'm in pain, I have a thought disorder, and I'm in blockage of truth. And I need healing, and I need to admit that. So in step five, you ask this question with an open mind, and you listen. You quiet your mind and actually listen. Rather than, I'm in here making it up about what I'm going to say next and how I'm going to get them to change and how it's going to be different, actually shut all of that down and actually listen to the person you've asked for support. And again, they probably have energetically the solution that you need. Listening is an important component of communication. It, it literally dissipates the energy that a lot of people get stuck in with upset. So give yourself the space to at least, at least temporarily think and act as if what is being offered to you by this other person that you've been blaming will work. It takes a great deal of learning to move into this conversation. So once that person offers what support they have, if they're willing, again, they might say, good, I'm glad you're in pain. Let me see if I can give you a little more. But my experience is that, you know, the blame game, when people are brought up with power persons that are blamers, the sensitivity to being blamed is outrageous. And my take is that when one truly, actually owns what's going on inside themselves and languages responsibility for that, most people are ready to rush right in and help. That's what most humans do. It calls forward human life and opens a space for monumental support and healing. So once this person, you know, this person might say, well, you know, we, we just went to that why is this happening to me again workshop and, uh, and we've got this forgiveness tool. Why don't we sit down and do a worksheet together? I'll support you in doing a worksheet. So now this person's stepping into a space of honoring you and supporting you in your forgiveness process. So you complete that worksheet. Let's say they, so you're at step five and you've gotten this suggestion that we do a worksheet. So you sit down and you do that worksheet. Ask, any more ideas? No, that's all I have in mind. So then there's a space, and it takes some patience to do this, there's a space for you to insert in the conversation what you think might help. Now remember, the objective is healing, not problem solving. So when you offer what you think would help, it isn't time to blast them, tell them what they did wrong and how they need to change to fix it. 
This is where you ask for a specific type of support that you feel you need that might assist you in moving through your healing process. Remember, once again, the whole idea of this process is healing. Not winning, not getting what you want. Not overpowering, not bullying. So once you've received their ideas and acted upon them, then offer thoughts that you have as to what you see might enhance your healing process. What might be beneficial for you from your point of view. And if you've done this responsibly, then quite probably they're going to support you. And then the final, the seventh step is, if necessary, now that healing's underway, use problem solving to handle the effect aspect of the situation. So I, I choose to make sure to continue my healing work if that's appropriate and to use this step where necessary. And if you truly choose to heal your life, you've got to heal first and problem solve last. So that's where the process of responsibility communication happens and how the process is done. So remember that each word and behavior expressed and impacting an energy field is a frequency that's vibratory in nature. Each vibration, each frequency is an extension, a reflection, or we could say an actual energetic appendage of a thought. And these thoughts profoundly alter the state of physiology. So there's a short window into responsibility communication and the steps of that process. And it looks like we've got about 20 minutes left. Jeannie, do you have any other thoughts to add to that? Along the lines of what you were sharing earlier? No, that's perfect. And uh, I just sent the person an email and told them to download the show and forward to the second hour, and that would be a good starting point. Cool. Awesome. So if you're out there in listener land and you're on one of those stations where we can't see you, our call-in number is 563-999-3581. 563-999-3581. If you call that number, you'll be looking at the show. Pardon me, listening to the show. And, uh, and then if you have a question... Or comment, you push one, that will raise a hand in the control panel, and you and I will be having a conversation. So, Miss Jeannie, do we have anybody in the phone queue with a hand up? We, or anything we happening do. in the chat room? Awesome. We Let's do say hello. It's 541. I think this might be Celinda here on the air. Yes, it is. I had a question to ask you about what you were saying. <clears throat> if you were doing this um, 
power person, this um, communication process with someone that you have an issue with. And what you kept perceiving, even though you did your very best to use eye languaging and to own the issues as yours, that the other person was in a position where they were unable to support you, how would you deal with that? If they Say it again. Say it again. Oh. Hey, oh, 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 oh. I missed a sentence. Your voice isn't very loud, Celinda, so and I missed a sentence. You started okay. out with the question, how? Could you repeat that? Yeah. How um, would you discern if you were doing the very best you could to possibly uh, do as at the level you are at to own your issue and to communicate it in a way that they were uh, that you that you both agreed you're on the same page about the event and then you went in to um, asking for support and your uh, gut level feeling. Um, or your perceptions, um, your energy that you perceive is that they are unable at that time because they're still heavily into blame and goal-seeking of changing something or someone else. And it's a long-standing issue. Can you give me some direction on that, how to find out if my perceptions are valid, and and is it wise at any time to stop a process? That's my question. Since you know that I have power person control issues, I want to be very clear that I am clear and I am being honest about my issues and my projections. Um, The point I guess I'm talking about is then safety, or a sense of, of how do I still center myself and how best to respond when every, um, I don't even know how to say this, but you know the intuition and the insight that I think I'm having is that the other person is not ready to be supportive. I don't even know how to explain it. When is it their stuff and I'm just perceiving that and owning my stuff? And when is it my stuff and how would I know when it's their stuff and I am owning my stuff? That's my question and I know it's very hard to get into words. Michael, you're talking, but not through the phone. Thank you. I'd hit my mute button so I could hear you a little better. So here, it's it's really very, very easy to tell to, whether it's my stuff or their stuff. Do I have any form of disturbance going on that I'm experiencing? It's my yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's funny. doesn't matter what it's they're funny. doing. They can be standing there screaming, raging, yelling, cursing, you know, doing everything possible. Am I in a disturbed state? Then that's my issue, and that's what I want to be responsible for. And 
when I'm asking for that support, you remember I said as I was laying out the steps, so I'm asking her for support if I don't get it. If this person says, I'm glad you're in pain, I'm glad you're in upset, that's exactly what I intended, and here, let me see if I can inflict a little more. That's where you stop and you go to the next level of, okay, so they're not going to play, they're not going to participate in this, and I ask myself the question, how does that look like my life? How does that result haunt me all the time? And recognize that if it's something that haunts me all the time, that's the next level and the next piece of my own work. Yes, because what I'm thinking of is safety issues. So that would be my worst but that would be your next worksheet. Exactly. That was exactly what I was feeling, going to say. Yeah, and if in that moment I am feeling physically, mentally, or emotionally unsafe, what I'm asking is what is the best, most loving response that mm-hmm. I can give by being in love in that situation? Because I'm going to feel the tension if I feel unsafe. So how do I respond so, in the moment? responsible way for that. So if we were in intensive and you asked that question, I would turn to the board with my marker and I'd write as large as I could write all of the above. I'm going to use every tool that I've got. So it might mean that, you know, and this person might just snicker and laugh in my face at my pain and be callous and cold about it. So that's when I'm going to stop and go, who, what, what tool do I have? What's coming up in me as I'm experiencing a construct in my mind that this person is callous and cold? Ah, the best tool I know for that is the commitment. So what I'm going to do now is speak the commitment to them. I, you know, my experience is, my perception is, and what I'm going to do is respond with, I promise to trust you enough to tell you the truth, treat you lovingly, gently, and with respect in my thoughts, my words, and my actions, whether I'm in your presence or not. In every interaction, I'm going to surrender to love, our true nature, and remember that my connection to my source and my relationship with you is more important than any issue. So I'm going to use the commitment. I might choose if if there's a lot of disturbed energy in this space. Right. Right. You said, but I would say that to them. And if if that situation, because you you have mentioned yourself, there are times when uh, someone who's really into power or into control, um, that would escalate for them, their desire to punish or whatever. I'm asking about... When would I just remove myself and say, I need to take a break and then go do the tool myself? Or would I say it to them? How, how do I know? Well, I That's think, where, you know... It's real safety issues, real safety yeah. issues. So, so we can give some guidelines, but ultimately remember that the bottom line objective of this work and the bottom line realization is the only teacher 
that will always tell you honestly where your process is going and what you need to do is inside of you. So, yeah, we can give you some guidelines, but you're going to have to listen right. to your guidance and develop your connection to your own, your own source so that you're guided, so that you know that, hmm, if I start to speak the commitment to them, they're going to go stark raving mad. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to just excuse myself and go get a glass of water and breathe, go to the mirror and do the commitment with myself because I'm really feeling a lot of frustration and then come back with, well, what came up with me, you know, when I experienced it? Now I'm going to go through the responsibility communication process again. And I'm going to arrive at the place where I realize I have a lot of frustration, and what I'm looking for is support in healing my frustration. Do you have any ideas? And the Course in Miracles has a really wonderful um, way to measure your own progress toward the ultimate goal of this work, and it's a two-part test. The first part of the test says... When I think of this person, am I at peace? And if you can say yes, then you're rocking. That's, that's the, you've just gone through the first 25% of confirming that your healing process is underway. Now, if you want to do the other 75%, then you ask yourself the question, as I'm experiencing that peace, does this person who I yesterday had a conflict with share my perfect peace? And if they don't, I've got my next level of work to do. Because nothing comes to me without my choice. Nothing happens that I didn't engage in and participate in. Course says, deceive yourself no longer that you are helpless in the face of what is done to you. Acknowledge but that you have been mistaken and all effects of your mistakes will disappear. It is impossible that a happening can come to you that is outside of your choice. And so there may be, and, and, you know, if you recognize you've got a history of pain and trauma and conflict and unsafety, going, there's going to be layer upon layer upon layer upon layer where you're going to be called upon to speak to and of yourself, to and of this other person, lovingly, gently, and with respect. And when you can't, that's your next forgiveness project. <laughs> Say I can, because this is where, what I hear you saying is that you have a guidance system. I have a guidance system. I've known that for a long time, and I've used it at times, and any time I haven't, I've gotten myself in deep kimchi. I understand that totally. So say I am still speaking lovingly, feeling that, um, you know, compassion and the qualities of love flowing through me, and I, at the same time, feel unsafe. Is that when I remove myself sufficiently and ask to be shown and then do my work? It's not a permanent that thing. Would be... It could be just a calming thing for me and a, a supportive. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to have to support myself until I find out yeah. whether the whether I am going to be able to be supported by that particular person or not, yeah. or whether I need to find support somewhere else with someone else, maybe about that issue. 
but that would be after asking Rufa. So that that's one option, and the other option might be, you know, as I'm working toward owning what's going on for me, what is becoming apparent to me, or at least what I'm experiencing, and this may or may not be true, is that this is really creating some disturbance for you, in you. And if that's true, I want to be responsible for my part in it and step into the healing process with you. Is there anything you feel like you need to share with me? And open the space for them to perhaps, now that you've modeled responsibility communication, you may find that people around you will tend to step into responsibility communication. As long as you go, oh, I'm not safe because look at, look at that violent look on your face. i got to get out of here and take care of myself. How does that look? Gotcha. You know, ask yourself the question, how does that look like your life? And if that's what looks like your life, then that's your next healing project. And the ego, remember, with its hostility and fear and projections, is relentless. It's relentless in its game of blame. Those who are card-carrying members of the One World Religion of Blame are very, very dedicated, very religiously committed people to their blame game. And as you withdraw from that, it's, it's going to create some complexities in relationships. It's going to create some complexities in interaction. Well, I'll tell you, Michael, that I have gotten more and more and more subtle with the blame game as I'm attempting to heal and I am doing, quote-unquote, the right steps as best I can um, because my heart knows that's the direction to go. And my ego will get so subtle, so incredibly subtle in its blame game. I, I am just amazed. Oh, yeah, it's tricky. The great deceiver. That's why it's always to ask the question, what's moving in me? How can I tell what's moving in me? I'm feeling it, and you can't feel anybody else's. When you want to tell somebody else that they're to blame for what's moving in you, notice that you're lying to yourself. The desire for truth is not alive in a person who's doing that. I really appreciate this. I just went out and... um, got copies made of the 14-page deep, detailed power person worksheet. And I looked at it and I thought, oh, my goodness, I'm going to be working on this for the rest of my life. (laughs) (laughs) It really unravels it, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm taking it, like with the addictions and stuff, I think I could mark every single one of them. And the other one, right. I forget what it is, the, with all of those different boxes to check, I just, I didn't look at it really clearly, but I wouldn't be surprised if I marked every one of them, too. And the uh, part of the worksheet that is one of the most, the two parts of your worksheet that are the most powerful for me is one, what is my punishment thought? Besides the goal, of course. What is my punishment thought? And while you're holding that thought, are they safe? Oh, that's, are they or me, either one, because my punishment thoughts are being, 
Yeah. Are they safe? Um, no, uh, they aren't safe if, I, if it's towards them. But if it's towards me, they're probably not safe either, are they? Because I'm certainly probably not. not. <laughs> That's the energy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's shifting the whole energy system. And the second, yeah. uh, so the goal, of course, is most important, be, uh, related to the thoughts and the emotions and stuff and the story. And then the punishment thought, because obviously I'm in a blame and shame game at that moment because it's all about something out there. And then when I go through the rest of it, the next question that is the most important to me is when I have when have I ever done the same? And it's like bingo every time, Jeannie and Michael. Right. It's yep. like all of my life. Yep. You know, and then it's that little box we check about am I willing to do a mass counseling that just segues right into that. All the box. goals for everybody. Oh, yeah. Yep. It's, um, yeah, so I'm very, I, I, I'm the tortoise. <laughs> I'm very slow and I'm very thorough. And so, and, and I'm very committed and uh, I'm very persistent. And so I say I'm persistent because I am. Well, I get from and your language, I, when I think about that last conversation we had on the show about the uh, blockage of truth issue right. and how you received that, uh, I give you an A for making monumental progress. So good work. Well, you know, I don't even remember how I received it. And, and Larry's been helping me. He keeps saying, live in the moment. Don't lock yourself in the past. Don't try to fix, right. uh, lock yourself in the future. And, okay. and But he says it in such a different language that sometimes we have to really, both of us really struggle to, to understand yep. that what we're actually saying is we're both on the same page, but we can't seem yep. to um, find a way mm. to communicate it. So right. You might want to go back and re-listen to that show. Which you might want to go back and re-listen to that last show, the one where we talked about your personal code evaluation and the number one challenge being uh, honoring truth. Oh, yeah, and I've come to a lot of peace about that since then. Because yeah. I did, But you might find I listening to that again useful. I did listen to it again. I, listened, I cool. did listen to it again. Good. And I was good. thinking of listening it to it again. So that's yes. good. That's but what I'm suggesting. Anyway, yeah, thank you. And All right, well, I'm, the, slow uh, do, I'm slow. You're rocking. So. All right, well, Blog Talk is talking in my ear saying we're finished, so they're going to cut us off. So I'm going to say okay, thank you for your questions, your search, and your work. And, and everybody, have the best year yet of your eternal life and blessings. Bye-bye. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. 
That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.